If you will, bow your heads with me one more time for another word of prayer before we get started. Gracious Lord, uh, we thank you for your goodness. Uh, we thank you for your uh, your faithfulness. And Lord, we just ask that you would, you would be with us today. Open up our hearts and our minds. And open up my mouth and, and uh, um, speak to us today. And, and uh, let us come away. Uh, inspired, Father, to uh, to uh, share the story that you have given us. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Now, this going back to the scripture reading, 1 Peter 3.15. I want to read that again. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Always being ready to give an answer. Now, what does that mean to you? I want to read it to you in another translation that I think brings it out very, very clearly. It says, And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain your hope as a believer. Now, when you think about that, what would be your answer to someone that came to you and said, why are you a believer? Explain to me your hope. Uh, I sat and, and I thought about to myself, what would be my answer? I guess it depends on right, who you're talking to. But I want to give you an example of probably not the best answer that you could give through my own experience. So (laughs) I learned by trial and error a lot. My wife will testify to that. But, um, you know, you'd think I would just, I would just listen. But, but, uh, if I would have read these stories, maybe I could have come up with a better answer. Okay, one day we're on the way to my wife's grandparents' house. Now, I've got to preach a sermon in Monticello, and I'm not going to name names there, but since no one here knows my wife's family, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I'm going to tell you who we're talking about. Because I think it's a kind of an important piece of information, because when it's your in-laws, you men who are married, you can, you can kind of identify with me that it's intimidating. Because, you know, this is, this is the same guy that <clears throat> got, got pretty, pretty upset when he comes into the room at one o'clock in the morning and his granddaughter is on the phone with me. You know? So, <laughs> so ever since then, he's always been a little intimidating to me, even, even since we're married. But, so, we're on the way to my, my wife's grandparents' house and, and uh <clears throat> he likes he likes to pick at me. And uh I could tell as soon as I walked in the door, he just had that look in his eye. He was ready to tear into me. And he's an atheist. So that that kinda just throw some more coal on the fire, you know. So <clears throat> he starts he starts in, he says, you know, I people who who uh, do this, you know, they, they pick at the most peculiar thing about you. So he picks, he, he does the same thing with me. He says, Micah, 
Why don't you eat pork? <laughs> and I said, well, it's, uh, it's unclean. He said, my parents were Christian and they ate pork their whole life and they were just fine. Why, where is it that you get that you're not supposed to eat pork? I said, well, um, <clears throat> the first sentence we find in the Bible is from the book of Genesis, you know, where uh, God says uh, to Noah, bring seven of every clean animal and two of every unclean animal. And uh, so uh, he says, it, so it says in the Bible that pigs are unclean. I said, yes, it does. It goes into... Uh, great detail in the book of Leviticus it actually names them by name because because they have a you know they have a split hoof but they don't chew cut he said what's chewing cut so I explained to him what chewing cut was and and, uh, he says Micah do you realize how silly that sounds I mean he's being serious he's looking at me like I'm a moron it's not like a uh, a funny funny honey this this sounds silly you know it's it's that sounds silly seriously and I said, well, to you, that might sound silly, but God's the one who created all these animals. So he knows, you know, what, what they're made of, what's in them. So he knows what's good for us and what's not good for us. And um, then he starts attacking my faith in the Bible and, uh, you know, we don't even know who wrote the Bible. We don't know this. We don't know that. All these smart guys say, say, you know, we came from, from evolution and, and this and this and that. And let me tell you, <clears throat> I was ready for that <laughs> because we have been, me and Johanna and Megan, we sat down and we have watched our creation case. Uh, and it tells all about, you know, we know about our, you know, Pastor Dan, Daniel has, well informed us about the Fibonacci swirls and, and how you see, you know, this, this sequence in nature. You see it in flowers. You see it in, uh, snails, the, the, the spiral, the, in a, in a ram's horn and all these different things. You see, it's like the, the fingerprint of God in, in a vast variety of, of, of nature. Not in just one thing just happening here and then something else happening here. It's, it's so so I was ready and there's another there's another um uh show it's called uh I saw it not long ago it's called uh Creation Today. And <laughs> the beginning of this show it shows uh, uh these people on a battleship and it shows these kids uh manning this gun and, and pretty much blowing atheists to pieces, right? So <laughs> So I was ready to blow him out of the water. All right. <laughs> so, so uh, I, you know, you know, I, I explained to him all this stuff, and and uh, you know, I start. I even go into the book of Daniel and Revelation, brother, brother. I'll tell you what, brother Mike really did well with his study this morning on Zerubbabel and and uh, Ezra, and, and uh, you know, I got into some of that stuff and. <clears throat> Guess what? By the end of our conversation, which lasted about two hours, he still thinks <laughs> I'm pretty silly. <laughs> but you know what? <clears throat> I want to tell you another story about my favorite author. Now, <clears throat> this is uh, 
she, she wrote a lot of books. Uh, and uh, it happened to her one day. She was on a train headed to Chicago. And the sun had just come up over the horizon. She had just woken up. Uh, the train had slowed down for some reason or another. And she could hear in the background there was there was somebody talking. So she turned to look, and, and there were two men sitting at a table. Uh, one of them looked looked as if he would rather be by himself eating his breakfast. And the other one was talking about religion. And he was kind of downplaying religion. And this guy, would, the, the guy that was sitting with him, he would try to argue back, but finally he just got to where he just quit talking. <clears throat> so after this unbeliever saw that um, his friend didn't want to talk anymore, he got up and looked for another victim. And there was a lot of empty cars on the train, so uh, empty seats. And uh, uh, so he he would go from one seat to another, and, and he would talk about religion, how, how much it was just a bunch of nonsense and, and this and that. And some would agree with him and laugh at his little clever arguments, and, and others would you know try to argue with him. But after being defeated, they would just sit in quietness. And... <clears throat> Uh, he would. He kept on going from one person to the next, and and he after you know the morning, most of the morning, he got up and felt like he had pretty much conquered the whole train. You know, he's standing there swaying back and forth with that look of pride on his face, like, oh yeah, I'm I'm the man because everybody's listening to me, and nobody can nobody can argue with me. And then he spots this little elderly lady with a Bible in her hand, so he goes and he sits down beside her. And he starts his tirade against Christianity. He says, he sits down and he says, Christianity to me is like someone juggling balls. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's like sorcery. And he goes on and he goes on and it gets louder and it gets louder. And she just sits there. Doesn't say anything. Everybody's looking. Everybody's watching to see what is she going to say to this guy? She doesn't even pay him any attention. She just just sits there, and he keeps going, and he he's talking louder and louder because he knows everybody's listening. And finally, he finally is quiet because he is so wore out from talking for so long, for so loud that he just cannot talk any longer. And that's when that little elderly lady looks at him and says this. This is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And then she said, To you religion is nothing but a bunch of sorcery, but we have a more sure word of prophecy that we do well to take heed. And then she tells him this, She tells him briefly about her own life and conversion. This he could not argue with because he did not know anything about the Bible and he could not argue with the experience that Mrs. this lady had had herself. 
And after briefly trying to argue back, finally he had to sit and murmur to himself because the whole train car had stopped listening to him and what he had to say and was listening to this little elderly lady. And they laughed him out of the train car after seeing him quieted by by this little elderly lady. Now, I want to tell you that um, sharing our testimony um, is the main reason that we we should always be ready to give an answer is uh, the main reason is not to blow atheists out of the water. (laughs) Because uh, uh, very seldom has anyone ever been converted at a debate. Debates usually do more harm than good. But but I do want to tell you what I believe is the main reason. So let, let's turn, turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. And I've got to speed up a little bit, or I'm not going to have time to... Get it all in. Okay, Okay. so Mark chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. Okay, now let's let's figure this out a little bit, where where we're at, what's going on. Okay, the the, the Gadarenes, they're going to the, the other side, which is opposite of Galilee. Galilee's here, the Gadarenes is the region of the Gadarenes is over here. So... Um, we know that uh, the Jews typically did not look at the Galileans very, uh, they did not hold them in very high esteem, right? Do you remember what, what uh, Andrew said to Philip when Philip came to him and said, uh, uh, Andrew, I may have these two guys mixed up, Philip, Philip came to Andrew. And uh, Philip says to Andrew, Andrew, we have found the Messiah, the one who, who Moses and the prophets have wrote about. And what did Andrew, what was his response? Does anybody remember? Uh, because he said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? So Philip says, come and see. So what was the reason uh that that uh, it was looked at like that, um, and I had it marked, but I lost it. But uh, remember, um, it was John. It might have been John who who was uh, talking about the the prophecy, and he says, uh, "Galilee of the." Remember, anybody remember? Out of darkness has come a great light. Galilee of the Gentiles, right? Galilee of the Gentiles. Uh, so there was a lot of Gentiles there in Galilee. Now, in the region of the Gadarenes, there were very, very few Gent- or Jews there. It was mostly heathen. So uh, we know how Jews related to Samaritans and, and Gentiles. How did they look at them? Not very well. That's right. I mean, y'all are unclean. You know, we, we can't associate with you. We can't even eat with you. We can't be under the same roof with you. We don't talk to you. We don't associate with you. So, when Jesus tells his disciples, 
Let's go to the other side of the lake. What are they thinking? <laughs> the other side of the lake? What? You want to go over there? Are you serious? We don't associate with those people. This is this is not good. This is not a good idea at all. But, because their master said, let's go to the other side. Okay, we'll go. And remember... Uh, this this uh this account doesn't doesn't cover it, but uh, uh this was actually in chapter four. But um, as they're on the way uh, to the other side, what happens? A storm. A storm comes up, and the disciples are thinking, "Yeah, uh, yeah, we're not supposed to be going here anyway." So obviously, yeah, we're going to run into a storm. And I can't I can't move on without without bringing this point out. You know, when, when Jesus was resting, when he was sleeping on the boat, and the disciples had done everything they could, they had fought all they could fight, and then they finally remembered that Jesus is on board, and they wake him up. And Jesus, you don't see all this water pouring in the boat. Seeing the rain coming down, the, the disciples scared for their life. He has a look of peace on his face. Why did he have that look of peace? You know, you and I can think, well, obviously, you know, he's, he's the creator. Obviously, he can just throw his hand up and the storm is stilled. He knows that. But didn't Jesus say, of mine own self, I can do nothing? Of mine own self, I can do nothing. Jesus was resting. Jesus was sleeping in the assurance of the Father's love. That's why he had peace on his face when he got up. Not because he knew he could still the storm. He had given up the power as the creator. He was still fully God, but he was fully human being. Of mine own self, I can do nothing. He trusted in the Father and his love for him. And that's why he had that peace. The same peace that is offered to every single one of us when we fight and fight and do everything we can to save ourselves and finally realize Jesus is there. Jesus, even though it does sadden him that we forget sometimes to come to him first instead of trying to fight it on our own, it does sadden him. There is no call that ever comes to him that will go unanswered. But, but Jesus, <clears throat> as they reach the other side of the sea, and how many, how often, how easy is it for us to be just like the disciples and say, you know what? I don't want to go over there to that group of people, to that bunch of people. I don't want to help them. You know, they're, they're too, too poor. They're, or they're too rich and snotty. Or they're too, um, Skin's a different color. Or they're whatever reason. Same. Same concept. So easy for us to have that same attitude towards others. You know, it reminds me of a, a video I saw. It was Dr. Markham. Uh, he was, uh, uh, he was, he was, he was doing an interview. And uh, he was talking about a patient that he had come into his office, uh, 
and um, he was high on meth, and he was uh, under the influence of alcohol as well. And I guess they sent sent him there to check get his heart checked out. And so Doctor Markham he asks him. He says, "Why, why did you, why did you do this? Because he had he had tried to uh, overdose." And the patient said, well, I did it so my wife wouldn't leave me. Dr. Markham said, I think I would try something else. And he got up, but he said, you're fine. He got up, he's getting ready to walk out. And a voice spoke to him and said, you know what? You didn't help him at all. You didn't do anything to help him. And he listened to that voice. And he turned around and he sat down with him and he said, you know what, why don't you try getting to know Jesus? So it is so easy for us to say on drugs, alcohol, no hope. But Jesus, Jesus wants us to not do that, not to categorize people, not to say, you know, this group is, is too far gone. Um, okay, so Jesus came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces neither could anyone tame him and always night and day in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones now this was a terrible sight this was the worst thing the disciples had probably ever laid eyes on it was the furthest thing from humanity that they had ever seen matted hair and let me tell you, Luke, Luke gets real with it. He, he gets, you know, him being the physician that he is, gets very down into detail. And I'm going to paraphrase Luke 8, 27, where he says, Look, this guy was naked and he didn't even live in a house. That's how Luke described him. <laughs> to me, that's just funny. Didn't live in a house and he was naked. Uh, so it was, it was scary. And can you imagine somebody cutting themselves constantly? You know, I've got a I've got a scar on my leg from from here to here. I'm not going to tell you how I got it because it's embarrassing, but I got it 20 years ago, and it still looks bad. Can you imagine how someone would look after just cutting themselves for years and years constantly? This was a scary, scary sight. When he saw Jesus from afar, verse 6, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission and the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2000 
And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled. And they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Why were they afraid? If there was a naked, crazy man running around in my neck of the woods and he had his clothes on, I would be happy, not scared. Why were they afraid? You know, they were afraid for the same reason that the rich young ruler was sorrowful. When Jesus looked into his heart and read what was first on his priority list, what was what was what he was serving the most, and he says to him, Give all you have to the poor. Come and follow me. The rich young ruler turned away sorrowful because he was not willing to put God first. These people were afraid that Jesus, this divine healer that was among them that could heal their afflictions, might dig into their pocketbook. And they didn't want that. They were afraid, as many of us can be today, because serving serving God is giving Jesus our whole heart is something that's scary to some people because it means giving up some things. Some things, putting Him first instead of putting what we've always put first, first. That's why these people were afraid. So, verse 16, And those who saw it told them how it happened to Him and who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And they began to plead with Him to depart from their region. And how, and He got into the boat. He who had been demon-possessed begged Him that He might be with Him. Naturally. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Now, answer me this. Had these two demoniacs, had they heard the sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 25? Matthew chapter 5. Had they heard the Sermon on the Mount? No. They hadn't heard the Sermon on the Mount. Had they listened to the parable of the sower? Or the the parable of the pearl of great price? Or the parable of the the rich man and the, uh, the, uh, the, the wicked servant and the, and the, the uh, good servant? Had he heard any of the teachings of Jesus? No. Could the disciples have done a much better job of him, of going and preaching the things that they had heard from Jesus? 
Could they have been much more eloquent speakers? I think so. They had, they had been with Jesus. They had spent time with Jesus. But, this is not what Jesus asked him to go tell. Jesus asked these men to go tell what God had done for them and how he had had compassion on them. You know, the devil tries to discourage us to keep us from telling people what God has done for us. But have we been, have we been naked and in a cave for the last 15 years? Do we look like the furthest thing from humanity? No. But God used these two men who had in thousands, thousands came to meet Jesus next time he came back. Thousands. Every single person here has something that they have seen, something that they have felt, or something that they have heard that they can share and bring peace and comfort to thousands. Everybody here. This is what the disciples did. Um, in John, First John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. I want to read something to you from the Desire of Ages, page 340. It says, As witnesses for Christ, we are to tell what we know and what we ourselves have seen and heard and felt. Now, I'm not saying that that we need to stop studying and, and just go on and just... Uh, tell people about what we've seen and heard and felt. This is our first commission, but that doesn't mean we need to stop studying because there are some peculiarities about our faith, about our teachings that are far different from many others. So we need to know why we believe what we believe. Just like Brother Mike was studying, he was digging in deep into uh, that Sabbath school study this morning. That was a blessing, and it is a blessing. It, to me, that was the greatest faith builder I had experienced when I dug deep into uh, the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. But this is our this is our first calling. This is our first answer for the hope that is in us. I believe. Let me read this again. As witnesses for Christ, we are to tell what we know, what we ourselves have seen and heard and felt. If we have been following Jesus step by step, we shall have something right to the point to tell concerning the way in which he has led us. We can tell how we have tested his promise and what and found the promise true. We can bear witness to what we have known of the grace of Christ. This is the witness for which the Lord calls and for want of which the world is perishing. For want of which the Lord, the world is perishing. Has anyone here ever made the statement or heard someone else say, I don't know how people make it without Jesus. I've said that. Has anybody else ever said that or heard that said at least? How do people make it without Jesus in their life? You know what? They're not. Isaiah forty-eight twenty-two says, There is no peace 
says the Lord, for the wicked. Suicide is the tenth leading cause of death here in the United States. Every day, approximately 123 Americans die from suicide. Suicide is the third leading cause of death for 15 to 24-year-olds. And it's the second leading cause of death for 24 to 35-year-olds. One person dies by suicide every 16.2 minutes. Every 16 minutes. In the state of Tennessee, in Tennessee and Kentucky are running neck and neck. Three people on average, three people a day, will successfully commit suicide. Successfully. That's not counting the people that tried and failed. I don't know about you, but there has been there has been times in my life where without the knowledge of a loving Savior, I'm sure that we could all look back and and think and know that there has been times in all of our lives where without the knowledge of God and His love for us, what point is there to go on? No point without that knowledge. God says in Isaiah forty three twelve, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. There are people out there dying for want of the knowledge that someone loves them, that someone cares about them, that someone has been changed, someone has been impacted by a loving Savior. In the very next story, when Jesus comes back from the other side, he meets a man named Jairus. As he's on his way to Jairus' daughter's house, Jairus' house, to heal his daughter, a woman who's had an issue of blood for 12 years reaches out and touches him. She's healed. And Jesus, after being touched, do you think that it was important for him to know where his power had went to? Did he, did he necessarily himself need to know that? Could God have revealed that to him? Did he probably know already anyway? Yeah. So why was it that he stopped and made a scene? Because that woman needed to tell what God had done for her because all those people around needed to hear needed to hear her testimony of how God had had compassion on her I want to read something else to you from Desire of Ages chapter 36 our confession of his faithfulness is heaven's chosen agency for revealing Christ to the world. Our confession of His faithfulness. We are to acknowledge His grace as made known through the holy men of old. But that which will be most effectual, and this is it. This is what, this is what we're thinking about. 
What should be our answer for the hope that is in us? But that which will be most effectual is the testimony of our own experience. We are witnesses for God as we reveal in ourselves the working of a power that is divine. Every individual has a life distinct from all others. My testimony to some people is not going to reach them. They're going to listen to it and they're going to think, oh, that's a nice story. But your testimony is the one that they need to hear. Your story. An experience differing essentially from others. God desires that our praise shall ascend to Him marked by our own individuality. These precious precious acknowledgments to the praise of the glory of His grace when supported by a Christ-like life have an irresistible power that works for the salvation of souls. What is your other side? Who is your other side? Where is your other side? Who is God calling you to tell your story to? How God has led in your life. Thank you, Jesus, for how you have led each and every one of us. Thank you for the testimony that you have given us. And Lord, let Satan not discourage us from sharing it, Father, with the people, with your children who need to hear it. Be with us throughout this week and give us opportunities, Father, we pray, uh, to be witnesses for you. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.